Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. My goal this morning, as we should do, is we will finish off 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, as a call to praise God, part 3. Again, the message of 1 Peter simply is hope. How to handle suffering as a Christian. That answer is hope. God gives us hope in the midst of our suffering. We are learning that suffering offers believers a chance to show others the generous love of Jesus. Today we will finish verse 5 with a look of a great promise of a future salvation that awaits God's elect. So if you're with me in 1 Peter, we're looking at chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3 just to get us back up and remind us where we are. For Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And Father, I pray as we come to close this part, Lord, that you would encourage us and strengthen us. Father, that you would help us to see that you do give us hope. Father, that we are to praise you for your wonderful mercy towards us in the times of difficulty. But even that, Lord, let us see that as Christians we are called to suffer through our salvation, through our sanctification. Father, through submission and through service. Father, let us see that these things are just mere shadows, though, of what is awaiting for us, kept in heaven and guarded for us. May that bring us energy. May that bring us courage. And Father, may that cause us to worship you, that others may see and be drawn to your word. Be with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I just want to give you a quick review from part one and two. It's three reasons to praise God for his mercy. It's number one is that we praise God for a living hope that is based in Christ's triumph over death. In other words, we have a living hope, not a dead hope, not a wishful thinking as if, oh, I wish I hope I win the lottery, or I hope I do this, or I hope I do this, but a confident expectation that God will do as he says. And we see that he raised Jesus from the dead. That's what our hope is based on. It is a fact. It is something that has happened. And in the same way, our, that same hope is given to us. We praise God for an inheritance that is internal. We learn that that means that our salvation, our eternal home, our eternity, it means it's imperishable. It, it, it will never be destroyed. It's undefiled, meaning that it's not of this world or tainted by the presence of sin. It will be perfect and it's unfading in the fact that it will never fade away. The glory does not get lost or faded. And then thirdly is where we were last week, is we praise God for a salvation that is secured. And we saw that we looked at it, that God is guarding and keeping. So we asked some questions. What are we being guarded and kept from? The first one we recognized is that we're from God himself. We were actually rescued from God's judgment and wrath. And we should praise God for his mercy and guarding us from his judgment and wrath. And we looked at, as Christians, though we are saved, at the, at, at, there's a point where we're transferred from darkness to light. 
And even though we are saved from God's wrath at that moment, we are continually being saved from God's wrath. We saw that even when we sin as Christians, God always still looks at us with love. And we looked at the difference between God's discipline and God's wrath. And we can understand that very clearly as parents because we know that there are times in which we discipline our children out of love and then there are other times in which we discipline them out of wrath. And we know the difference between that. And that's the same way as Christians we need to recognize is that we're saved even from God himself. And I want to speak a little bit more about that as we go through how that is. So in other words, God's wrath is never on the Christian. And God keeps that. He keeps his wrath. He has has been satisfied with that. And that is a continued thing in the fact that he never judges us or treats us as sinners again. Then we see that we are guarded, secondly, from Satan, the enemy of God. Knowing that he is a roaring lion seeking to devour us, seeking to paralyze us and to steal our testimony from us. But we saw that we should praise God for his mercy in guarding us from Satan's desire to destroy our witness. And we looked at some examples of Job and others in Scripture. And thirdly, we are guarded from ourselves like a dog that returns to his vomit. Many times we as Christians go back into our sins. We find that comfort zone many times. We're still attracted by our passions and desires that still reside in us. That's the fighting, that's the struggle with sin. But we see that he protects us from ourselves and restraining our sin in other ways. And we should praise God for his mercy in guarding us from our own self-destructive desires to abandon God. Now, I want to take a moment to give a quick word of encouragement and thanks. And I hope this comes across in the right way And because I, I, I was very, very encouraged by it. I want to mention that I'm thankful for a few of you that have come to me during the week, even after the service, to ask questions or even to bring up disagreements. I do not want you to accept what I am saying at face value, but to be like the Bereans who receive the word with all eagerness, but they examine the scriptures daily to see if such things were so. So whether it's me or Dustin or Pastor Lewis or Randy or Landon that are preaching and teaching, we want you to examine what we say. And some of you did that this week, and I was encouraged by that. Let us be a church that searches the scriptures, that examine the scriptures, understanding that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Amen? Amen. And that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in this case, let us praise God that our salvation is kept and guarded by God's power. And so I encourage you, bring your questions to me. Bring your disagreements. Obviously, and come in the spirit of love because that's how we sharpen one another. And many of you have done that even in your disagreements. So I appreciate that and you have my permission to do so. Because there are times when we think that, hey, maybe I spoke clearly, but then I realize, well, maybe I haven't. Or maybe this issue needs to be delved into more. Or very importantly, I may be wrong. That doesn't happen much. Don is the final arbitrator of whether that is true or not. But I want to tell you that I was encouraged by several of you who did that, whether it was a men's group or just coming to me uh, privately and in love. Thank you so much. Do so. Let's do that. That's how we grow in scriptures. That's how we learn more. And so some of you did that in a wonderful, wonderful way, and you sharpened me this week. So please take advantage and do that. Our salvation, though, as we see here, is kept and guarded by God. And as we sung, he holds us fast. Our salvation, our inheritance cannot be lost, stolen, 
or given back. So I want to pause here just again for a moment to address an issue that many Christians struggle with, that of losing your salvation. Let's just ask, have any of you ever had a doubt about your salvation or concern about you might lose your salvation? I think if we're honest, I think most of us have. Uh, that's the nice thing about being an independent Baptist. You can get saved as many times as you want and baptized. They don't have a limit on it, so that's really good. So you can always deal with it there. But I want to talk about that because I think that's something that many of us struggle with. And especially when we see a passage of Scripture that says, well, you should praise God for your salvation. But if you're like me, many times when you're suffering or struggle or suffer loss or doing pain, I think God is mad at me. I think that he's angry. That's why I talked about God's wrath being satisfied. I think God must be punishing me. Maybe I'm not saved. And so you say that quick prayer, you know. I do it every time we're going up on a roller coaster. You know that chink, chink, chink as you're going up. Man, I pray more than anybody ever in the world. And just when I get to that top and I see, oh, Lord, if I'm not saved, do it now. And then down we go. I think that's where all evangelists happens. I think there ought to be someone up there giving out tracts as you're going up there. I don't know. But many are concerned because you're not seeing fruits in your lives. Or your struggle with sin seems to be overwhelming. Or you're afraid that somehow you may deny Christ. Maybe it's because you're afraid of that unforgivable sin that many have, have uh, misunderstood. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 John chapter 3, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that at first glance is not going to be very encouraging, but I believe that He's given it to it to encourage us and to strengthen us. One might ask, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I haven't left the faith? How do I know that I've sinned so much that God has abandoned me? I think there's many that feel that, that God has abandoned you. Look at verse 4 of 1 John chapter 3. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Bang. That's what he's telling you. Verse 5. You know that he appeared, speaking of Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Okay, the first two verses, okay, that was okay, but here all of a sudden, now he's going to just uh, kind of dig a knife in here. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him, speaking of Christ. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9 is the verse I really want to look at. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, we're all lost again. As soon as we sin, as soon as we're angry, as soon as we think a bad thought, is it like an etch-a-sketch? Is that what God is with my salvation? And then I have to go and do it all over again? I mean, this is a tough, tough passage of Scripture. But instead of getting it to where it's a boot on the face or on the neck and God just ready to cut your head off, this is actually a, a passage of Scripture that is to encourage and challenge us. We could spend several weeks on this passage alone, but suffice it to say for now, 
This passage teaches us that those that are in Christ will not practice sin, meaning that their life is not characterized by a life of sinning that does not bring repentance and confession. As a Christian, you will sin daily. You will struggle with sin. You will swallow the apple of sin while still choking on it, not wanting to. And then you'll think of these verses and say, I cannot do it. Like Paul, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Who can help me? Oh, wretched man that I am. We will sin, but our lives of believers will not tolerate willful sinning without our conscious crying out that leads to repentance. Fortunately, we're not left alone in our battle with sin and living out the salvation. Dr. John MacArthur writes about this word practice here. It says, he writes, it conveys the idea of making sin a habitual practice. Hence, when we are speaking of do not take communion if you've made friends with your sin. If you're no longer struggling with it. He says, although genuine Christians have a sin disposition, it's our disposition, it's, it's kind of like our default. We want to sin, we want to get angry, we want to do these things. He says, and we do commit and we do need to confess sin. That is not the unbroken pattern of their lives. A genuinely born-again believer has a built-in check or guard against habitual sinning due to our new nature. That guard is God himself. Dr. John Mark Arthur also notes that God's supreme power, his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his sovereignty, listen to what he says here, not only keeps the inheritance, but it also keeps the believer secure. No one can steal the Christian's treasure, and no one can disqualify him from receiving it. It is kept and guarded. So can we lose our salvation? No. But you may say, but my life seems to be marked by habitual sin. Well, are you fighting it? Are you leading to confession and repentance? If yes, then, then that's evidence, he says, of salvation. However, if you're here and you're just made habitual sin is part of your life, and your conscience is not seared or torn by it, if you're no longer even aware of it and it's just part of your life, then I would encourage you, look and see whether or not you truly are born of God. For the Holy Spirit will convict. And, I, and I've said this before, and, I, and this is something that's important. You need to know the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction and Satan's condemnation. When you sin and you have that little inner voice in your mind, that conscious, what is coming through? You are such a bad person. How in the world can you think of yourself as a Christian? How can you think that you are any good? There's no way that you're a Christ follower. That's condemnation. And what does Romans 8 tells us? There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. When you hear that voice, that is not of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. So the Holy Spirit's word will bring you back to his word. What does he say? Sancti Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. In other words, husband, when you're unloving to your wives, instead of that condemnation, you need, to, you need to say, you know, Satan, get behind me. And you need to hear the one that says, husbands, love your wives. The Bible's called you to care for your wife. 
The Bible has told you to love one another. That's the Spirit's conviction that leads to confession and repentance. So Christian, know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Does, does that make sense? And that's something we need to look at. When you're getting condemnation, that is not of God. If it's under the blood of Christ, he convicts. He does not condemn. When we read this, as we go on, no one can steal the Christian's treasure. Let me share with you, that's what it means. That we, our salvation cannot be stolen. It cannot be snatched away. It cannot be taken from us. And very much what I'm going to go through here in a moment is it cannot be given back. Well, some say, well, can I come and just give back my salvation? I would say that then 1 John 3 is telling us, for someone who makes a habitual life of sinning without repentance and confession, this shows that they never were born of God. Amen? It says you're not born of God. And so there's the challenge, hence why we take communion. I want you to examine yourself. He says test and examine yourself to see whether in your faith. Now, I don't have time to go on more about this, but let me share. This would be one of those moments where you should take, if you have a question, if you have concern about your soul, as you fill out that card, say, Pastor, can you call me? Uh, email me, Pastor, I need to visit with you. Can I see Randy? Can I see Dustin, Landon? You know, who can I talk to? Do not leave today without getting the help to find that answer. Do not leave with your salvation in turmoil or whether or not you are in turmoil. So let's go on because we're kept by God's power. When we read that who by God's power are being guarded, we must recognize or realize that this encompasses, when it says we're kept, that the, it's the, probably the whole power of the Trinity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So let me give you what I think that, though, that's telling us. You see, the Father protects us. John chapter 10 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. We read this a little bit earlier. And they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now that's Jesus speaking, but listen to what he says. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And now when you see that in Scripture, that's not saying that God is greater than all physical stuff or just all spiritual stuff. It means He's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father one. Even from ourselves. Our salvation is secured. Satan cannot take it away. We cannot lose it. And it's not something that we would say, here, take it back. We are in the Father's hands, and it cannot be lost. We also see in the Trinity that the Son prays for us. Luke says, Simon, Simon, him speaking to Peter, says, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might shift you like wheat. And here's another example of God protecting Peter from Satan. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Even when you and I fail, Jesus does not abandon us, but prays for our redemption as well as that God will sanctify us. In John chapter 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, we read of Christ's prayer for the disciples. 
Jesus asked the Father, he says, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. What is Jesus praying? Father, bring them to me. Guard them. Keep me. There is going to be a reunification with them. I am leaving the world. They are without me. So Father, I'm praying for them. Would you hold them? Would you guard them? And the Spirit is our comforter. He bears witness to our salvation. In Romans 8, verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus also prayed, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. So we see the Trinity is not only work at our salvation, but it's also work in keeping and guarding. As the Father protects, Jesus prays for his children, his brothers and sisters, and himself, and the Spirit seals and helps and comforts us. The power of the Trinity is at work in keeping and guarding, securing our salvation. That should call for you and I to praise the Trinity for his mercy in protecting praying and sealing us for the day of redemption. For the Christian, for the believer, Peter is one you know that there should be no turmoil of your mind and your heart of whether or not you're saved or whether or not you have a secure heaven for you. We now move on to the next phrase of verse 5. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So I want, I want to look at that phrase, through faith. The phrase teaches us that not only does God keep and guard us by protecting and praying and sealing us, but also that our faith is one of the means that God accomplishes this. In other words, you and I have a part in this keeping and guarding. God has his part, you and I have ours. Faith is the means, it's the tool that God uses. When I say means, I'm speaking of the, the way God guards and keeps or one of the tools that God guards and keeps. God uses people and circumstances to do his will. They are the means of how he does it. One example we see in the scriptures is David. You might recall when we studied his life several months ago, that Goliath, the giant Philistine, was threatening Israel and was cursing God. This was a direct attack against God and his holiness and his glory. God could have just reached down and killed Goliath with a word or with a thought. Yet God used David. David was the means that God protected his name and protected Israel. In the same way, God keeps and guards us by our faith. Now, what is our faith? It's our active obedience to God. So yes, God the Father uh, protects Jesus prays, the Spirit seals, but then the other way that that happens is through our faith, our active obedience to God. One theologian notes that the Christian's response, and that's what faith is, one of the Christian's response to God's election and the Spirit's conviction is faith. But even faith is empowered by God and the Christian's continued faith in God is the evidence of God's keeping power. 
At the time of salvation, God energizes faith and continues to preserve it. So still, there is a God work at it. It's not all of our ability or our will. Saving faith is permanent. It never dies. It's not a one-time event. This faith that Peter writes of is a continued throughout our lifetime here on earth as exiles. It does not refer to just the one-time decision to accept Christ, but a continuing trust in God's faithfulness, that God is faithful and will be faithful to do as he promises. So through faith means that I trust that God will be faithful. He is securing and keeping our salvation. That which he promised will be given to me, and it's my active obedience on that belief. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 writes that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, a Christian is one who trusts that God will do all that he has promised, even when our life is filled with suffering and pain. It is believing that God is good, even when life isn't. It is trusting that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Again, please understand that faith is not a blind trust, but it's trusting in God's word and the work of Christ and the spirit. Hebrews goes on to tell us that without this faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Scripture calls us to trust in God. But that trust must be activated. It is not to be dormant. James challenges us in his letter. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you not want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. God keeps and guards us by his own action. And get this, as God is doing it, he does it in concert with our own faith. You might recall some of you, I don't know, maybe you haven't. There used to be an old phrase growing up, uh, let go and let God. Anyone familiar with that phrase, let go and let God? Uh, that was a big phrase. Well, just let go and let God. I mean, and then Carrie Underwood made a song, you know, let go of the wheel, you know, the, you know that uh, Jesus take the wheel type stuff, you know. So, you know what, that, that, that just causes a lot of wrecks. And I'm going to tell you, if you've learned that phrase as a way of Christian obedience, you need to forget it. Because it's an old philosophy that just says, well, I don't have to do anything. We'll just let go and let God do what he wants. But that's not how God works in scriptures. He uses our faith. His guarding and keeping is through, is the means of our faith, of our active obedience to him. God has called us to join him in his great work of salvation. Yet we must remember, and this is important, that faith itself is a gift of God. Paul tells the Roman Christians, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Bob, listen how they're to do this. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. How strong is your faith? How much do you trust him? 
How much are you actively obeying, not just believing what God says? I know many people who profess Christ, who believe many things of the Bible, when it comes down to it, they do not act on them. They do not follow through. But in this case, we see that it's something that we have to follow through. It's something to sign. I would encourage you, I've been giving uh, the men a lot of things to pray. I would pray this in the, in the, in the, either at night, in the, in, the, in, the, in the morning, in the middle of the night, all throughout the day. Lord, give me a greater measure of faith. You ever pray that? Father, give me a greater measure of faith. Strengthen my faith. And he says to the believers in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Many times we take that verse just to mean salvation, but it means faith itself. If I could have faith, and listen, and you say, wait a second, but isn't faith something within me? No. Because if you could conjure up faith, of yourself, by your strength of your own will and the power of your own mind, then you could please God by yourself. It isn't without faith it's impossible to please God. Hence why we know that there's nothing within me that can conjure up that faith. It must be given to me from God. It's not a strength of the will or the power of positive thinking. It is a confident trust in the character of God and his promises. We confidently trust that God will be faithful to do as he promised. So what is that calling you to do this morning when he says, you are guarded and kept by God's power through faith, you must believe that he does. And our action is to trust it and to actively live and rejoice and praise him in suffering. In 1 John chapter 5, we see that God rewards those who exercise faith. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world is our faith, he writes. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You and I are to be overcomers in the midst of suffering. And the way that we do that is by blessing God, rejoicing in God's mercy, who has given us the faith that we can work with God, believing and trusting in what he does. So when Peter writes through faith, he means that we are guarded by God's power and our active obedience to God's word. God protects, Jesus prays, the Spirit seals and leads, while we are called to yield. We are called to put off the old man. We are called to scripture to put on the new, to stand firm, to resist the devil, to draw near to God, to die to self, to carry our cross, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, and so on and so on. So do you want to have that inheritance? Do you need that strength to believe? Then it's trusting that God will do as he says and that we yield to him. We do the things of scripture. Finally, in verse 5b, Peter writes this, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is difficult. We have mentioned many times that Christians have been saved from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and now are waiting to be saved from the presence of sin. And I'm not going to get through I, what I have here is where I want to end is just too powerful. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I thought we would get through it, but I see with our time and, and energy that I want to give to the next one, I'm not going to be able to do it. 
And so we're going to stop here. I, I just, I don't know what's going on with me. You guys need to pray for me. Because uh, what I have is just going to be too powerful. And, and it connects what he's saying with verse 6. And so we're going to take time to just stop here. Take some time to pray. Let's do that. Let's with every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I just thank you for your goodness. I pray that you just help us to understand your word. And, and I know I'm going through it at a snail's pace, but I'm excited about it. I know just in my own studying and my own teaching of this, I am being encouraged in my own faith. I am seeing victory that in many ways I haven't seen in a long time. And I just thank you for that. And I pray that that's finding root in those who are listening. And Father, that's to your glory. Father, let us see that we're to, to love you. Father, that we're to live out our life in faith trusting that you're going to do what you're going to do. Father, I pray, protect us. Jesus, continue to pray for us. I need it more so each and every day. And Spirit, continue to seal me and give me the witness of the testimony of my faith, as well as for those that are here. And then, Father, I pray that you would just give us the faith. Give us a greater measure of faith. Father, I pray that you just in this church, just grow us to such a faith that just bursts through the seams that others will see it. And Lord, lives will come to know you. And Lord, that you would be glorified. Make us sufficient for such things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.